This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's the Bama Online Podcast. Travis Ryer, Senior Analyst for BOL, with you once again. This time following the Alabama Crimson Tide's 55-17 win over the LSU Tigers as we get you going for another week of also, in addition to college football, you're going to have some college hoops coming up this next weekend with the Alabama men's team. We'll get into some of that as well. And joining me, as always, site publisher, Tim Watson. I'll tell you, Tim, I'm fresh from Baton Rouge and I come home and we've got Monday afternoon NFL football. We got Monday night football and then we're going to have Tuesday night football in the National Football League. Tim, it, best life right now. You, you think this is great? You like this? I don't like the circumstances to get here, but I don't I don't mind the the two thirty four o'clock random NFL <laughs> game. I got to be honest, I'm an NFL guy. I'm a sports guy. I told you during the whole shutdown and COVID, I started with Korean baseball organization. <laughs> yeah. Who was your favorite team again? Who did you adopt? Really you know, I watched like, it, like the, the NC Dinos or something yeah, like that. I yeah. Like their mascot. I really like what I would do is I didn't know their names and I didn't want to, as old as I am, I don't want to crowd my brain with anybody's names. I don't need to like recruits. When Alabama's out, I like to shuffle them out of the mental database, but uh, I would watch those guys on mute uh, while I worked, and they did great things. They had fun, but started there with that, and so you can't really give me. It a, was a mental health thing with the Korean baseball, right? It, as much it, as anything else, they were acting normal, and it was you know it's not major league therapeutic. It's not major league baseball, but those, that's a legitimate baseball league. I mean, those guys play hard, they run, they hit, they had fun. A lot of them were sort of like kids in it. It was it was a sport going on. When I had a I had a country in America telling me there'd be no sports, so the Koreans were guiding me through it. Uh, <laughs> uh, I went from the Koreans to these afternoon football games. You can't. I'm not going to be mad at them. I don't care. About yeah, them. I mean we're gonna we're gonna basically, I guess, have the Pittsburgh Steelers go undefeated in the regular season and play their games on Mondays at 1:30 or yeah. you know Wednesdays at two, something like that. I only played two Sunday games all year, but went 16 and 0. <laughs> So, yes, I'm happy to have it. Yeah, the 1972 Dolphins. You know, it's good for the 72 Dolphins because those guys are gotten to an age now where they don't have to stay up late to pull against the Steelers. You know, they don't want those Steelers to go undefeated. So, you know, they get the Steelers. It's kind of the the early bird special for the senior citizens. You know, you get them at 4 o'clock in the afternoon on a Monday, and you can still get in bed by 7 if you're the 72 Dolphins. It's the best of all worlds right there. Uh, LSU over the weekend. You know, Tim, how I can tell the 
earth has returned to its axis when it comes to LSU and Alabama. When I see LSU people telling us in the wake of a 38-point home defeat to the Alabama Crimson Tide that football's never been all that important anyway for LSU, Tim. Yeah. Is that is that the biggest sign that we're back to normal maybe yeah. in 2020? They never heard about it. They got baseball. They got, <laughs> they got crawfish boils. They got Mardi Gras they stole from Alabama. They never cared about it. They stole it from Mobile, didn't they? Absolutely. Yeah. Mobile did that first. And I'm a state of Louisiana guy. I love the culture and all that. But they can save that. They don't give a damn about football. They just don't. They only care about it. 11 years from what I can tell because well, it's easy not to care about it when you're three and five, you know, well, let me ask you this. If they didn't care about it in Alabama, what was all that tomfoolery when they actually beat them? <laughs> Dropping F bombs on the like field, carrying the, quarter, the quarterback off the field, celebrating you know? in the middle of the field, telling all the recruits to come here. Like I said, last week, everybody that said, come to LSU left LSU. They ain't even there. They're at TCU and Trent. They didn't like the duck hunting? Those guys didn't like the duck hunting in Louisiana, Tim? Dude, it was that that take of what is the one guy said there. T-Bob, T-Bob, T-Bob bear kind of had that rant. Dude said they're Greece. We're Greece and we're Paris. Yes, that's what all the Parisians say. <laughs> they come to New Orleans, they say, we're home. No, they don't say that crap. Oh, uh, you know. T-Bob, he, he, he kind of went deep on that one. But, you know, when you know that his dad is Bobby Hebert, and if you've ever – and Bobby's a great dude. I love Bobby, by the way. But if you've ever heard a Bobby Hebert rant post game, I don't think T-Bob's was even top five for the Hebert family. And I feel pretty confident saying that was set up for weeks to have someone call in because that was a pretty – that was a prepared sure. speech of we're Greece, we're Paris. I'll die thinking about – oh, Alabama. That's not that football's not that important. When I die, I'll think about that national championship game. Dude, if you're on your deathbed thinking about that football game last year, then yes, you probably do take it a little bit serious, T-Bob. Bobby was awesome after the uh, 2012 BCS championship. Yeah, remember that? He went into that press conference and basically ripped Les Miles for the LSU offense. I don't mind. And he gets done in the – and the moderator says, is there a question? Yes. I, remember that. I didn't mind that passion. I remember him as a player. He was that way. Um, uh, the, uh, I remember, yeah, it doesn't surprise me. I mean, you get emotional and, you know, it's okay to be emotional. I mean, uh, Bobby's not your traditional journalist raised in no. a school. He's a fan. Professional. He's, he's yeah. a, he's a fan. Yeah. And that, that national championship game was really bad. Uh, you know, you watch a whole game and you don't cross the fifty. T Bob, T Bob was in that game, by the way. You think there's some residual residual salt? You think that? You think there's some salt, extra salt on that? Bob didn't extra care. Iodine, Travis, sodium. He didn't care. They lost. He went to Paris, aka Baton Rouge, <laughs> that night. He had a crawfish bowl. He, he went had a great meal at Galator's post game. Have yeah. crawfish that they don't have in Alabama. They have women. Alabama has no women. We're just a whole. We're like we the, don't have redfish either, Tim. I thought we had redfish. I, I thought I you had redfish in I, Alabama. Yeah. I know that those people are familiar because when they need a beach, all the people from Louisiana are down there in South Alabama. So they are in Orange Beach in that yeah. area, aren't they? Yeah, yes, absolutely. That's they don't have a beach. 
We do. I guess we're the. <laughs> I guess Alabama's the French Riviera. That's oh, they got. Yeah, you know, the thing they do got out. is those. The rain was the rain was pretty funny. I don't think I think it was just sort of a little bit of a yeah, set. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, there's nothing. I don't have any harm in that, but I don't buy LSU. Doesn't consider now. It looks like that team doesn't really take it seriously, um, <laughs> but I think the the fan base and everybody else does does take it seriously. I think they just had mentally been beat down. Look, like we said all year, when you run your mouth at that level, they did. And I'm talking other SEC coaches were telling me they don't want to play that game. I'm talking they did not want to play that game. They went to midfield. And they celebrated. They went to the locker room and celebrated. Went to the Alabama stands and celebrated. They lost their mind with that win. And they should have. It was a big win. Number one, Alabama and Tuscaloosa. They had every right to celebrate. Probably went overboard. And Saban's comments before the game on CBS, man, I've never in all these years. Have you heard Saban say, we're about to beat your ass before? Because that's what he said. <laughs> that's what he said. We're about to teach you a lesson. A hard lesson. It's going to hurt you more than it's going to hurt us. <laughs> yeah, that was Old Testament. And look, yes. it could have been worse. I mean, Alabama ran the football the entire fourth quarter Saturday yeah. night. They went from, we can, you know, score what they want. They probably could have, but they did sort of, um, you know, unplug it a little bit. I mean, we, Alabama had 43 carries. You know, that's probably, you know, 15 or 20 more, whatever it was, more than LSU. So they definitely were running the clock out and, um, just getting out, you know, and that's the biggest thing with a game like that. It's like you want to win, you want to dominate, you want to get out healthy. And I think Alabama did that. I mean, a lot of guys got to make plays. Devonta Smith, I mean, dude, come on. How in the world is the rest of the nation not on to how good he is? And I don't, when did the Heisman is turned? You know what the Heisman is, Travis? It's a lazy watcher's award because when you watch a quarterback, it's like watching a point guard. He's got the ball in his hands all the time. You're watching. Does he throw a pass? Does he complete a pass? Does he run the ball? You don't have to watch anything else. So everybody that votes just votes quarterbacks. That's what it's turned into. It's turned into the the quarterback award because there's nobody watching. I mean, Devonta Smith and the Florida guy. I mean, Matt Jones is great. And Kyle Trask is, having, is great. But – I, I would argue that Devonta Smith and the tight end for Florida are the better players. And I think a lot of people would agree with me. So it's, you know, the, it's the fact they're not even getting recognized. I think that bothers me. Like we don't even hear Devonta really in the discussion. Well, it used to at least be an offensive skill player award. In other words, if you were a wide receiver, uh, more so probably a running back, and a quarterback, you had a legitimate chance to win the award. It has become almost exclusively a quarterback award. I mean, it might as well be the Davy O'Brien Award at this point. Kind of like the Bolitnikoff for wide receivers and the Doak, uh, the Doak Walker for running backs. It's a bit lazy because you can turn on ESPN or anybody else with highlights, and you can see every touchdown pass came from Mac. You can see every touchdown pass came from Trask. So they're highlighting the quarterbacks. You never really see a feature on Devonta Smith. You know what I mean? You don't really see. I mean, CBS did an end zone, uh, back of the end zone catch from this year. And it was amazing just to see what he's done this year, just on the really tough catches in the back of the end zone. So I'm not a fan. I think that award, uh, I mean, when you and I were growing up, I mean, the, 
We had the uh, Steelers defensive end. What was his name? Hugh Green was finishing second. Me and uh, Hugh Green from Pitt. Yeah, and you had uh, had you know we had Charles Woodson in the discussion. We had Champ Bailey in the discussion. We had running backs, and the running backs for us was almost the norm. It seemed like Tony Dorsett, Barry Sanders, and all those guys. And then at some point it shifted. Chuck Long finished second to Bo Jackson. Everybody said, "Hey, what what's happening?" They're like, "Hey, you know what? Gino Toretta looks just like Chuck Long. Give it to him." And then we were well, off. We were off and early, running. The early part of this century is when it really i mean you had a guy like jason white of oklahoma win the heisman trophy the quarterback at oklahoma you know i mean that that's when it really seemed to become uh very much quarterback centric now you did have a couple alabama running backs and uh, reggie bush from usc those are the only nine quarterbacks in the 21st century to this point that have won the Heisman Trophy. And you said it about Devontae. You also see a lot of his highlights. You see the one-handed catch, just a hellacious grab late in the second quarter from Saturday night. But where the best all-around football player part comes in for me is the stuff you don't see with Devontae. And it goes back to you have to make a little bit of an effort. You have to watch – Devonte to see what he does as a blocker, to see that he gets leveled by Jacoby Stevens special. early in that game on a crossing route, and still comes back to light up LSU. How about his special teams coverage? I mean, this exactly. guy returns yeah. punts now. This was my stance on Henry Ruggs last year. My stance was when NFL guys sit down and look, and they see Henry Ruggs on special teams, they you know coverage, not returning coverage on top of everything he else else he does with blocking. I thought Henry would separate himself. Obviously, the the four whatever speed doesn't doesn't hurt. But when you get put all that together, I thought he'd separate a little bit from the others. I feel the same with Devonta. When you got a guy that's willing to run down as the gunner and tackle somebody, when really you, I mean that's that's just the next level of a guy who's committed to being a you know really good football player. And like you said, this guy started out got his bell rung. Seven late, yeah. let seven got him res a big strong hit there. He got hit. Was it two weeks ago when Javon missed a block? I mean, this he is a gets guy. hit a lot. Yeah, that's as he takes big shots. Yes, for a, you know, you look at him. You know, he's you know slide a build, but just a tough guy and a hard worker. And you know, for me, it's not even so much about winning. It's just like where's the reckoning? Where's the recognition for a guy like that? Even the Florida tight end who's, you know, one of the best tight ends I've ever seen in college. And uh, I, just think, I just think there needs to be in the discussion because we – and not only when we add people to this Heisman watch, we just plug and play another quarterback. Oh, the BYU quarterback, sling him in here. He throws mm-hmm. passes really far, and then Coastal beats him. He'll fall out, and we'll go find another quarterback to replace the quarterback. They don't go like – Hey, here's the best running back in the country. Here's the best wide receiver in the country. We've seen wide receivers like uh, uh, Des Bryant dominate college and not even really get the you know the mention and you know that he probably should. So um, I don't know. I'm not a Heisman guy. I mean, I think it's a it's a tradition, but you know, I think it's sort of wore out its welcome. It's almost like the Baseball Hall of Fame voters to me. Yeah, it's a uh, very fraternal and it's very narrowed in terms of its. Uh, uh, it, it's it, it's selection process and kind of who truly qualifies uh, at the end of the day. Uh, Tim, Alabama without four assistant coaches. I know 
uh, at BamaOnline.com. There were been we had outlined that possibility. I know you had heard about that very real possibility as the week moved along. I get into Tiger Stadium on Saturday night. I'm about 30 rows up, and lo and behold, there's Charlie Strong working with the outside linebackers. Tim, uh-huh. uh, that was that was an interesting aspect to the game, no doubt. Yeah, I mean, when you you know Alabama's fortunate, they've got guys like that to step in when you've got a. You know, even a Butch Jones, you know, he's a, he's a you know, former head coach, good assistant. And uh, you got Charlie Strong. You got guys that can just step in and help in like that. There's a big advantage. But, yeah, Alabama, you know, no one's really discussed this because they look at it like, well, Saban's back. But they were without Carl Scott and Sal Sanceri and Freddie Roach and, and uh, Hallman Wiggins. I mean, those are four assistant coaches, 40 percent of the staff. That's a lot of guys to be out. So when you saw that early, to me, I'm wondering a little bit. That early part of the game, you saw Jove a little bit confused and, you know, gave up a big bat pass play. It looked like they were in a blitz and checked out of it, and he still came. So I wonder if that was affected at all by Carl not being there. Not that the other guys can't do a job, but when you're used to one coach in your ear, and, of course, Saban helps with the DBs, obviously. I wonder if there isn't a little bit of an adjustment period. Because early on, LSU had success on two drives, and after that it was pretty much, you know, Alabama, Anytime they brought pressure, it was over. Yeah, really three plays for LSU. The bust on the blitz that you outlined uh, with Kayshawn Boutte, who's, as you know, from from what you do in recruiting, uh, the expectation was for this guy to be a really good player, and he's doing that, uh, especially with Terrace Marshall Jr. out now, uh, had a big game. You had uh, the touchdown run from John Emery Jr. Talk about another highly coveted recruit from a couple of classes ago. And then Emery hit him with another run of 20 yards. But, you know, other than that, and I look, they all count. It's not to say that, that every play isn't important and you can just pick and choose which plays you want to highlight. Um, you know, are, are you more concerned about those mistakes at this point in the season after having a sense or a feeling that, a lot of those issues had subsided. Are you still encouraged by what you see from this defense as a whole, especially knowing what's coming up? You know, I think, you know, the thing about it, Alabama in almost every game enters it like a robot. They're like the, uh, um, you know, they're like Universal Soldier, if you've ever seen that moment. You know, they walk in with a mission. Emotions often are checked at the door. I don't think that was so much the case in this game. I think they took this personal we said in the offseason that several guys came back to play Auburn and LSU in a nutshell. There were several guys upset about both those losses, and they came back. Big-name guys you know, like Leatherwood, DeMont, and some others. So I think early on, with it being on the road, with it being overly emotional, with the coaches out, I think I, I mean, I don't think it's a big deal to give up a big play. I've never really seen a defense that didn't. I mean, I saw Alabama's. Best defense maybe ever give up. What was that, a 70, 80-yard run to Nick Chubb? You remember when Ruben got jammed up and went outside instead of him? Yeah. Yeah. And their whole game plan was to keep Nick Chubb from getting to 100 yards. So big plays are going to happen, especially, I mean, LSU's a down-and-out team, uh, but they have talent. Like you said, John Emery was a five-star guy. Boutte, who almost, you know, didn't quite score a touchdown. He done – Apparently he likes uh, Parisian and will cross. <laughs> it just didn't matter. It just didn't now, matter. Dude, if the ball crossed the I mean, he, he just took away everybody who fell short. I mean, it was a yard short. 
Uh, Give John J. Kirkland a lot of credit. That dude was aware absolutely. to go over and grab that football. Everybody freaking out. I told my wife, I said, surely they got on it because there's no way this isn't a fumble. Uh, right. He came from like 20, 30 yards away to get on it. Good for him. Um, I mean, they went to a commercial break and came back, and he I, got on the. I mean, that's how long the ball I, sat there. The goal they were blatantly cheating, or LSU Raven got on the ball because it think was. Think Alabama's like, defensive staff isn't getting on those guys today. By the way, yeah, for not I'm going sure. and picking up the football. I, I saw Daniel Ryder battle. I think, um, in the pylon cam, it seems like I'd have to go back and watch it. But yeah, they sort of were running with him, so didn't pick it up. But yeah, absolutely. You know, you pick up that ball. You see it a lot now. Where you know, I, of course, I see that in the NFL. You give up a big play, you're probably disappointed. But I'm not discouraged by the defense. LSU's a dangerous team when it comes to, like you said, Boutte was a top 50 guy, received some consideration for five stars. He was a top target for Alabama. Chose LSU over them. You know, you got a big arm quarterback. You got John Emery. They had some guys where LSU was really hurting was uh, in the trenches to me this year. I mean, you can't win in the SEC. Their offensive line wasn't very good. Their defensive line wasn't very good. But their skill players, I mean, they got Derek Stingley. He's a future first-round pick. Jacory Stevens is going to play in the NFL. They had the float kid, Flot, from Mobile. Mobile Flot. Yeah. yeah. Mobile, that's the home of Mardi Gras. And um, he, you know, <laughs> he had some guys that have did well for them and played well. So their problem was in the trenches mostly. And you could sort of see um, – now you so you can sort of see Alabama just sort of lean on them, and you know, and also you know you can say when you jump out to a big lead, fourteen to nothing with Alabama, I think there's a little bit of chance of just sort of relaxing. It's hard to stay hyper focused for sixty minutes. We all know that. Yeah, it, it, there's likely to be a, a dip at some point, but uh, you know, you look at sort of where Alabama goes from here. Arkansas coming up this Saturday. Uh, the SEC announced on Sunday game times and television designations for the upcoming weekend. Alabama, I think it benefits the Crimson Tide to be in that 11 a.m. slot this week. Get into Fayetteville Friday afternoon. Take care of business uh, at brunch time on Saturday. Get back on the plane. Get back to Tuscaloosa. Be able to get those extra hours of rest and recovery before you vault headlong into sec championship week against the florida gators yeah that 11 i mean i know i've been talking to my lsu friends and my guys on the lsu site dude does anybody like a 7 p.m game i mean maybe if you're there i know in our in our business charlie potter and me and kurt mcnair and no no because seven o'clock kickoff and you know look i'm I'm whining now, but seven o'clock kickoff means about a two thirty bedtime for yours truly in the morning. But oh, I mean, seven o'clock's tough, especially though, Tim, when there's no tailgating. Yeah, like being no. in Baton Rouge Saturday, it's That's a it's Saturday night in Baton Rouge, and you know I drove to the stadium for a seven o'clock kickoff. Uh, I I drove in the I drove onto campus at like six. It was parked by 6.15 and in our seats by 6.30. Well, that's what it was. I was, texting, I was texting and talking to Charlie Potter and Shay Dixon from our LSU site leading up to the game, and they were sending me photos, and I, could, I couldn't believe I mean, obviously COVID. It was sad in a lot of ways, yeah. More than that, I mean, you know, they were walking in, you know, 45 minutes, and there was three people at the gate to get in, just unheard of. Um uh, obviously, the crowd was spread out and everything else too. So, just totally, totally takes everything. 
Yeah, just totally. And not to mention, a 7 o'clock start is now a 7.15 kick, which I don't understand <laughs> how we went from 7 to 7.03 to 7.08 to 7.11. I mean, we're going to be at 7.30 for a 7 o'clock kick. <laughs> yeah, it was it was surreal on so many levels having been there. And I know, like you said, you're a Louisiana guy. Um Having been to Baton Rouge for so many of these Alabama LSU games, to be able on Friday, what I did on Friday was I made a hotel reservation in Baton Rouge for Saturday night for a queen suite that was 120 a night and made dinner reservations for 4.30 Saturday afternoon at Rafino's. And I mean, it was not a problem. I mean, this was Friday afternoon before Alabama LSU in Baton Rouge when I did all this and I've said it before, as much as anything, it just shows you the massive impact that this pandemic is having on uh, college towns like Baton Rouge, Tuscaloosa, when you consider the financial hit, because you're not getting a hotel room the Saturday night of Alabama LSU in Baton Rouge for 120. You're going to get it for 300 plus, and you're going to probably have to commit to a two night minimum. So, uh, you know, it was a fun trip. Uh, but it was it was also uh, it was kind of sad in a lot of ways. Hey, um, Tim, I also wanted to get your thoughts on uh, a few other teams around the SEC. You saw Auburn on Saturday uh, fall to Texas A&M. Gus Malzahn in the aftermath really caught some heat, as you would expect from the Auburn fan base, given the season that the Tigers have had to date and probably as much as anything. Auburn fans thinking about how it could be and perhaps should be even worse with those Arkansas and Ole Miss uh, wins if they had gone the other way. Uh, I thought Gus was pretty honest in some of his comments about expectations for Auburn on an annual basis, Uh, but I don't think Auburn fans like hearing that it's cyclical, that their team is going to be a championship competitor. They expect because of the team across the state as much as anything else for Auburn to be in that mix year in and year out. In your opinion, is that, is that reasonable to expect that? No, not really. I mean, if you look back the history of the SEC, when you've had teams like you remember Dan Mullen and Mississippi state were number one, a lot of things have to fall in place for you to have that scenario for most of the SEC. You got to have upperclassmen. You got to have a dynamic guy. Like, you know, in that case, Dak, uh, you know, in Auburn's case, a Cam Newton. I mean, you take, you know, Cam off that team. Obviously, Auburn's a much different team, but you got to get that senior leadership. So I see what Gus means. I mean, Auburn's not recruiting. Right now, when you look at the, you know, the recruiting in the SEC, you're looking at Georgia and Georgia, even with Mark Rick up through Kirby Smart, they are consistently a nine or 10 win team, right? They're one yep. of the few besides Alabama. During Saban's tenure only, Alabama and Georgia basically are the only ones that have consistently won nine or ten games, I would think, right? I don't I don't recall Georgia having a losing record. So they're consistent. They have a good recruiting base. They've always had solid coaching. They're going to win football games. But when you look past that, I mean, even if you look at LSU, LSU can be big up or big down. You know, you look at LSU the season before the national championship game and they, you know, they were, they were a solid team. They weren't anything great. Like they were going to be the next year. And then you look at them after, and I'm not sure all LSU's woes will be fixed next year. I mean, I didn't see, they're going to have to have a lot of changes, but with Auburn who had a great defensive line, uh, you missed that. It's hard to replicate it without recruiting at that same level. I mean, they lost, um, 
Derek Brown, who was, you know, a terrific college football player, and he's he's the first round pick in the NFL. And they lost the guy, never can remember his name from Montgomery. Marlon, was it Marlon Davidson? Marlon Davidson. That guy, yeah. I thought for Auburn was as good as Derek Brown in a lot of ways. I thought he was active. He changed the game. So, you know, they lose those guys. Their offensive line wasn't hurt. I agree with, you know, Gus Malzahn. I mean, Auburn fans. But you can't say that, can you? Because the last thing Auburn fans want to hear is analogies and comparisons made to Mississippi State. But is but I guess that's what, yeah, you when, know, you, when you talk about just recruiting, that's more of the tier you're talking about, I guess. And it's, you know, for all the stars don't matter, the recruiting don't matter, just give me 11 stuff that you see sometimes. I mean, it's not true. I mean, you you got to have a good coaching staff and good players. Auburn, and, you know, to me, if you're consistent, there's a, there's a reason you know, you look at the top, you know the best teams in the country over the last decade. When you whether it be Ohio State or you know Alabama or there's several schools, they all look back at their recruiting ranking and they're up in that top five: Ohio State, Clemson, Georgia, Alabama. You know, there's and now four. you got Texas, you got Texas A&M. You got to worry about if you're Auburn. So when you're Auburn and you look at your schedule every year, Tim, you're talking about based on how you're breaking this down. You're behind in terms of your roster. You're behind for sure Alabama and Georgia, who you're going to see on an annual basis. You're likely behind LSU in terms of your roster. And probably moving forward, Texas A&M should have the better roster on an annual basis, I guess. Yeah, I mean, Auburn's offense is sort of a, you know, you can get away with the three-star guy there. You can get away with the less top, highly touted guys, but you really have to have a great unit overall. Uh, Auburn's not, you know, they're not getting the top wide receivers because of the way the offense is. I still think, I know, you know, I'll probably catch some heat for this on the round table, but I still think Bo Nix is a pretty good quarterback as far as being an athlete, having a solid. What they do, yeah. Yeah, I mean, if you put him in a different scenario, I mean, that kid, you can say what you want about him, make fun. That, that, that guy's a tough guy. He was beat up. He was dinged up. He took some hits, had some great plays in that. So they've got that quarterback, Tank Bigsby, until his injury was definitely the best freshman running back I saw. That doesn't mean he's the best in the country. Somebody might know somebody different. But Auburn is at the sort of the mercy. I mean, they didn't have much of an offensive line. You know, I think recruiting is a lifeline of everything. And when the defense lost so many good players and uh, they had a defensive back taken in the first round, right? Uh, the Auburn, the, yeah, the yeah, uh, Noah, yeah, yeah, the, the corner, yeah, Noah, the name I believe he was, I believe yeah. it was Ingo Behini. Yes, so you had him lost. So they lost some major talent uh, on defense, and you know you sort of could see that the offense is always behind the chains. The defense was leaned on. And let's be honest, the defense has been sort of the staple for that team in a lot of ways, uh, with Kevin still running it. So Gus was being honest, and I agree with him. Uh, I'm an honest type person, so I think he should be honest. But at the same time, I get Auburn fans freaking out. But, hey, let me tell you, when you look around the nation, when everybody wants to fire their coach, Tom Herman, look at that Texas situation we're in. We got literally the equivalent of your wife going to a bar trying to meet another guy and coming home because she failed. Easy, Tim. I mean, you don't have to tell those type of things. I, I don't like you getting personal like that. I thought we, I thought we shared that privately, Tim. Oh, was that? Come a, on that, a, that was an RPM. Yeah, I mean, that wasn't for that wasn't for podcast consumption, Tim. <laughs> well, hey, so let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. 
rank for me in terms of expectations, reasonable expectations, LSU, Texas A&M, and Auburn, one through three from who should have the highest expectations on a yearly basis to the lowest of those three. How would you rank those three, LSU, Texas A&M, and Auburn? Auburn's third, so I think Texas A&M and LSU is interesting. LSU's always been one of the best uh, recruiting teams. It's an easy sell when you go to Baton Rouge. If you're a laid-back kid and you want to, you know, if you want to feel like you're visiting France and you want to eat eat crawfish and hunt ducks, Baton Rouge is a fun (laughs) place. Uh, It's for real a fun place. I go and visit our publisher, Shay Dixon, there. It's a fun place. It's good food and all that. Texas, though, is Texas. I mean, they – a lot of guys in Texas, a lot of talent in Texas. I don't think Texas A&M's really dug into that. They did a good job of competing with Alabama and LSU on the defensive uh, side of the ball at the defensive line. But other than that, they've struggled. I would go LSU. I would go LSU one, Texas A&M two, and Auburn three from a from a roster standpoint. Although I think one and two is very close. I do think Jimbo Fisher is a better program runner than coach O right now. So that would give them a little bit of the advantage, but I think both of those Texas A&M and LSU are going to be flirting with the top five team. Auburn's going to flirt with the top five recruiting class. I mean, top 10 recruiting class while the others are recruiting with top five. Uh, So it's going to be, that's a, that's a tough road. I mean, and don't forget Arkansas is coming up. They look like they can really coach Lane Kiffin, you know, for all of his sideline antics, Lane Kiffin can call a football game. So he just flipped the uh, quarterback that Alabama was looking at that was committed to Florida State. He's going to get some guys. I'm not sure. Luke Altmaier, yeah. And I'm not sure what Mississippi State's going to do, but I do, do know from years and years of watching the leech, he'll get his guys in his program, and it, he'll be a he'll be a problem for people. So you know, we know the SEC West is tough. You know, Gus is just letting them know in case they forgot. Yeah, I guess, you know, Auburn people are more consumed with the Alabamas and LSU from a year ago. Uh, Might need to be worried about Lane and Ole Miss and Leach at Mississippi State. I think I think this Saturday is or yeah, is huge for for Gus, because when this game against Mississippi State was originally set to be played, I think Auburn was three to four plus touchdowns better than Mississippi State. I've seen actually some improvement from Mississippi State of late. So Gus doesn't need to drop this one, you know, to to cap the regular season uh, against Mississippi State. We're going to head to a break here on the Bama Online Podcast when we come back. The early signing period for college football recruiting is less than two weeks away. We'll get Tim's thoughts on that. We'll talk some Alabama men's basketball as well. We'll get a mailbag, light mailbag from the round table on this edition of the Bama Online Podcast. That and more coming up right after this. Back with more of the Bama Online Podcast. Travis Ryer, Senior Analyst for BamaOnline.com, joined by uh, site publisher uh, Tim Watts. And Tim, is that nuggets? I think I smell some nuggets. You know, and those nuggets from Tim Watts, yeah, Chick-fil-A has the double barrel lines going and wrapped around the building out into the major thoroughfares. Well, that's kind of the reaction on BamaOnline.com when Tim drops those BOL nuggets. Tim, I smell them, I think. Got some waffle fries to go with those nuggets, my man? 
Yeah, it's pretty funny because it's really, you know, Alabama, you know, the thing about I love about the recruiting cycle, the thing I love about the, the, the ebb and flow from signing day to the next signing day is the emotional turmoil with the um, Alabama's not getting anybody. You know, this year Alabama's not getting anybody. It legitimately was a concern at one point because you just had Deontay Lawson out there for six weeks. And then Alabama's getting everybody because they ran off a six-week period that I, I don't remember being that successful. Well, here's the thing. When you get – you want all your commitments. When you want all these commit kids to commit, there's not a lot left for you at the tail end of signing day. Bobby Bowden, I've said this a thousand times, and FSU used to control the narrative of the recruiting rankings better than anybody in history. They would have a smorgasbord of guys falling. You remember that last week, pop. Pop, pop, pop. So when people were doing the rankings, they were like, wow, look at this finish FSU had. And it was always a good finish. However, to me, if you get a great player in March, he's a great player. Deontay Lawson's a great player. He's a great player in March. If he was not committed and open and chose Alabama next Wednesday, our fans would go absolutely crazy. The BOL people would go nuts. And I know this for a fact because this happened with Demoy Kennedy last year. Demoy mm-hmm. committed, committed to Alabama. Okay, we got Demoy. Who's next? Can we gray shirt this guy? Can we drop this guy? Can we get this five star? Demoy Kennedy snuck over to Baton Rouge for a visit. Wanted to see the second place that ever held a Mardi Gras. And he, <laughs> and when he got there, Alabama fans went crazy because he was no longer, you know, a given, if you know what I mean. So they would appreciate these guys a lot more. They actually should be thankful there hadn't been the drama. In past classes, I think you think a lot of you can think a lot of that on the fact that there's been no tra- there's been travel restrictions. So Alabama's you know 22 commitments, uh, and it's it's in as elite class now as it was last year, and there's still room for a few more. You know how much I loved last year's class. I said all last year I thought the 2020 group on paper was as good as Julio's class, and I thought it was as good as to his class on paper. And then you look up and you're seeing Timmy Smith and Malachi and Brian Branch and Will Anderson, and you're seeing these guys and it's no longer on paper. You've seen a pretty good team, see four true freshmen, see major impact, and that role's grown as the years went on with Jamil Burroughs and all these guys. So you've seen how good this class is. Well, I think 2021 has the potential just to be just as good, if not better, than 2020. Uh, a few spots left. And, you know, when you get to this point, you got three spots left. You're choosing the best of the best. So when you recruit the absolute elite talent in the country, you're going against the best. You're going against Ohio State. and You're battling the in-state schools like USC for a kid or you're battling LSU and, uh, you know, you're battling Texas and Texas A&M for these guys. So this class from an Alabama coaching standpoint, the way it's lined up as of today I don't think the staff could have asked for anything better or anything more. They really hit on every major need and still have some room to sort of, you know, pile on those guys. Yeah. So, Tim, are we at the point where it's still positional based in terms of filling these last few slots? Are we at best player available uh, position in, in this cycle for this class at Alabama? Is it a combination of both, perhaps? How, how do they – how do you think the Alabama staff is looking at what's left in terms of trying to make sure they, they, they finish with the strength that they typically do? Yeah, I think it's two. Like you said, it's one, they are, to me, they're at the best player available because every player's 
really good. I would say defensive line, they'd like to add one more. And I say that based on the number of targets remaining on the defensive line. That's a little tip for you. When you look at a, a, a class that has three wide receivers and the only other wide receiver they would take at this point is, say, Xavier Worthy or Brian Thomas. Well, that's two of the, you know, in my opinion, that's two of the top ten wide receivers in the country. So uh, definitely best available. When you look in the secondary, Terry and Arnold's a guy, basically the only defensive back it seems like they'd be willing to take right now. He's going to be a late signee, so you know there's some more stuff to work out there. He's also a basketball guy. But that tells you they're sort of best available. Defensive line, still got several names there. You've got uh, Tyreek Sapp, the Florida commitment. Um, you got Shamar Turner. Um, you know, you got the the uh, Adelaide kid from Texas. Two Texas Chumise. kids. say yeah. yeah. You like you practice that all week, showing me up. Nice work. I wanted I wanted to say it. Yeah, I had to get that they, in there. They got JTT, another one. Did you practice that one? <laughs> uh, Tuya Malalo. Oh my or goodness! Something. Travel. Yeah. yeah. I think I. The big I think skill. I got a B minus that time on that one. Yeah. So you know, Alabama has a lot more uh, defensive line targets than other targets. So really, I think they're down to best available. Uh, in some ways, but it's obvious to me they'd like to add another defensive lineman. And you know what? At the end of the day, Alabama's not going to waste a scholarship. They're not taking a kid just to fill a class, especially with all these transfers. And, I mean, the transfer portal this year could be insane when you think about it. I mean, the head coaching, the uncertainty. If you're at a school, you know, like Texas, I mean, if you're at Texas, is there for Tom Herman, you know they went after Urban Meyer. You know, you might be a kid looking to transfer or all these smaller schools. I mean, we've seen kids at Coastal Carolina. We've seen Billy Napier's kids at, uh, you know, University of Louisiana. We've seen a lot of those kids that can play in the SEC. Mm-hmm. So they're guys uh, not from those particular schools. What I'm saying is there's a lot of talent in the G5 uh, uh, level of football. So a lot of kids, you can look at a transfer. So I think they're just going to look for their needs and, and uh, finish off a a really exceptional class. The transfer angle is prudent and, and, and relevant for sure, especially this year because it's a free year. It's a free year of eligibility, and you're looking at the one-time transfer rule going into effect prior to next year or next season. And so absolutely, you got to consider the potential and the possibilities uh, that are going to be out and about on the okay, sort of know. free agency market moving forward. When we get to this point, usually in recruiting, you can almost guarantee people start thinking gray shirt a few. I mean, the gray shirts, they're a check that's going to be cashed. That's mm-hmm. not a free scholarship. It's not a free, it's not free money. It's a, you will, that spot will cost there's you. An, there's interest on those? Like a, yeah, yeah, there should be. But my, yeah. my thing is like, if you have a kid that's injured, that can't play, the gray shirt makes sense if he has to sit out another, you know, six months and get better. That may, that's fine. But for the most part, if you're, if he's not good enough to take in a class, I'm not a big fan of, of necessarily gray shirt unless it is for, uh, unless it is for like an injury, a little bit more time to recover and that kind of stuff. So I wouldn't expect a lot of that. I mean, there's the thing with Alabama, we can talk about all this. And as long as I've covered Saban and as closely as I've covered him, he's still, We'll come up with a curveball at any point. There could be a kid that is being recruited, and we are, we're not even talking about him who could sign next Wednesday. In fact, what year was it that Alabama signed the Florida defensive back 
out of the blue, I don't even know if we'd ever written about him. He ended up transferring to Central Florida. Was that name? was Aaron Robinson. Was yeah. that Aaron Robinson? Total surprise. Yeah. Nick Saban saw a guy, long athletic guy. They wanted to add one more athlete, maybe red shirt, bring him along slowly. So there's guys like that they could take a chance on. So still could be some twists and turns coming down the stretch here. Yeah, and you're going to want to keep it locked to BamaOnline.com as we get you ready for a week from Wednesday. Well, really a different dynamic too, Tim, with you know games still going on and signing day in the midst of all that. It's uh, it's 2020 for sure from that perspective as well. Yeah, and one more note on recruiting. The thing to remember is like this first signing period isn't the end of the day. I mean, every coaching staff is going to sign as many you know sign their guys. And uh, then look, you got a chance to take a breath and regroup, and then you've got six weeks to figure out your board. Alabama, for instance, will have seems to have JTT, Brian Thomas, um, Terry, and Arnold. So they still have three huge targets in the late period, and we've seen that go either way. Last year, McKinley Jackson ended up going to Texas A&M over Alabama. The year before, Byron Young ended up sticking to his Alabama commitment to decide despite taking visits. So there's going to still going to be some recruiting done. That talent pool is going to shrink. I remember when signing day, the early signing period first came, I think we all discussed maybe 50% of the kids would sign and ended up being 70. It's creeping closer and closer to 80. So it's almost like the basketball period where you have a three-star kid who isn't that highly recruited. He's got central Florida offers. He's got Ole Miss. He's got a few offers. And, um, that kid goes to the late period, well, 80% signs, he goes up vastly. He becomes a much hotter commodity. So we're going to see a lot of guys emerge here. Whether or not it affects Alabama remains to be seen, but there's still going to be uh, some some cards to play. Yeah, Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, the usual suspects. You talk about college football recruiting, and we're going to see Alabama and Clemson, Tim, on the basketball court. We're scheduled to anyway. Coming up on Saturday over in Atlanta, ought to be a good Saturday if you're an Alabama fan because you're going to have Alabama-Arkansas football at 11 a.m. And then that night, you're going to have Alabama-Clemson. Uh, Tim, your thoughts on how Alabama came out of the Maui event there in Asheville 2-1? and one. Was that sort of what you anticipated for this team? Did it play out the way you thought, or were there maybe uh, maybe was there a twist and turn you didn't anticipate? Yeah, you know, I didn't really know what to expect. I didn't have expectations. I knew I wanted to see this team. I did. The one expect, expectation I did have was I was curious to see what he would do in the first couple of games to get his his uh, rotation solidified. And I think we saw that from game one to game three. Uh, obviously, Alabama let Stanford. Stanford's a pretty talented team. I know they went one and two, but they've got a legit one and done freshman and four returning starters. So. Good team, good challenge. They controlled that game from start to finish, and uh, seems like Alabama learned from it. I mean, that was a pretty solid Providence team. I think they were a two and a half point favorite in that game, and they they completely dominated it. Um, pretty pretty well coached basketball team. UNLV first half was a little bit rough, similar to the Stanford uh, game. Then they turned it on. So I think we're seeing that rotation. I think we've seen. I mean, Josh Primo from game one in Asheville to game three is a totally different animal to me. Wouldn't you agree? All of a sudden. Yes. To get yes. To get when, when he can when he can knock down shots from deep and then open up space for himself to get to the bucket. 
and continue to develop the trust of Nate Oates and that staff as far as playing more on the ball, I think that's where you start talking about this team being able to reach its its ceiling, right? I mean, because think, he's that type of guy. I think that someone probably had a talk with him and said, you know, be aggressive. Do your thing. Don't be shy. Right. Don't, you play in your best is fitting in with these guys. I mean, there's a lot of guys on that floor that, that have talent, and it's not like they're not used to playing with talented guys. They played with a lottery pick last year who, uh, you know, dominated the balls at the league guard. So they're used to – sharing the ball and sharing the wealth. So he looked different to me. A couple of times he went to the basket. His shot looked better. He looked confident. And, you know, again, you know, you talk about freshmen. I'm, you know, I've, I've been, you know, any, any freshman playing in any sport right now is really went again, doing something no other freshman's done because there's no telling how much time they've missed in the weight room, you know, spring football, basketball this summer. They've missed so much that normal freshmen get to. So, Seeing these guys, they're learning on the job. So they're getting a lot of their experience as they go along. But I think there's a big future there. I like this team. I still think there's going to be some ups and downs on nights. I mean, when Alabama's shot's not falling, I'm not sure. They're, you know, they're going to shoot the ball. They're going to shoot it whether they make it or not. So when the shot's off, they're going to struggle a little bit more. But this Clemson team looks pretty good. Um, I haven't actually seen them just checking out their box scores and stuff. But they beat a – they beat a uh, Mississippi State Purdue team, so they play some legitimate competition. But you know, Alabama's a, a, a team they can play. I mean, that's a team they can play with, and they will be on uh, on TV against Maryland on the ninth. So if anybody wants to check yeah. out, and if you want to, if you want to pre-scout Clemson for uh, Coach Oates and his staff, you can do it. But I'm excited. Alabama basketball has players, and it's not a boring offense, and they're going to make mistakes. And they're going to have turnovers. So, but I, I like the direction they're going. It kind of it's a retro ACC matchup with Clemson and Maryland. I know on Wednesday night. Now it's a part of the ACC Big Ten challenge. I still can't get used to Maryland in the Big Ten. No, I still have to sometimes look up these teams, and they're in the wrong. Maryland gets me every time I can. <laughs> like when I go to conference, I'm like, what conference are they in now? So yeah, uh, Rutgers in any conference screws me up. Yeah, you know, too. But. I, uh, Feel like them and Notre Dame should start their own conference. Give us, us yep. a, us a break. But yeah, it's going to be exciting. And this Arkansas game coming up. I mean, this is a, um, like you said, eleven o'clock. Get in, get out, get prepared, get help. You know, get in. Um, you know, play a game. You know, obviously Arkansas is a much better team than we anticipated. And hats off. I mean, I don't know who's in the running for coach of the year, but it how if, if Pittman doesn't get it. Um, you know, I, I must admit. Drinkwitz of Missouri. Yeah, that was kind of the coach of the year bowl in Columbia, Missouri, Saturday. Missouri, that was yeah. a hell of a game. Did you see that finish? Yeah. Nice. My gosh, that guy dropped, and it, it was crazy. An interception right in his hands. He sort of just bounced it up. Arkansas caught it, and then they go, Missouri, go right down the field and kick a field goal. I mean, pretty clutch ending there in a really good game. But yeah, both of those guys that did a really good job. I think the, I think the over under. Preseason bet on Arkansas winning games was one. Would they win a game? Hadn't won an SEC game since 2017. I, I thought they were headed for three straight. The, uh, one, the one was counting their preseason at the time. Their non-conference. Yeah. I mean, yeah. so wow. he's done and been relatively, uh, relatively, com- you know, competitive. I mean, they'll have their work cut out for them this week. So, um, 
Yeah, I look for Alabama to win pretty comfortably. There you go. Hey, uh, let's get into the mailbag before we get out of here on the Bama Online Podcast, which, by the way, if you haven't already, we would love for you to subscribe to the Bama Online Podcast. A couple of clicks, and you're going to get the podcast each and every time it drops. It's going to go straight onto that iPhone, that mobile device of yours, just as easy as that. Leave us a rating and a review while you're there. We would greatly appreciate that as well let's get into the mailbag and goes to bryant man he doesn't play around he gets right into a question that is right up our respective alleys especially this time of year goes to bryant ask favorite holiday cookie and favorite christmas morning food what about it tim what do you got favorite holiday cookie and Christmas morning food. I guess he's asking on the morning of Christmas. Uh, what's is there a tradition? Is there? I'll give you ours. You know what we do every Christmas morning? We go to Waffle House. I mean, because it's open, so we pile into the car. Especially now that the kids are older, they love it. And we that? had we head to the Waffle House on the Strip right down there off of uh, University. Gus Malzahn over there with y'all? No, no. Gus is kind of scattered right now smothered he's covered up yeah it's like how he likes his hash browns for us (laughs) it would be um for us it would be heather does sausage balls sweaty yes alex baldwin yeah sweaty sweaty's great balls yes i think she just pops those in we do that just a normal that's usually what we snack on until we get to lunch um earlier you know in the in the career kids careers i call it their christmas career we were up at the crack of dawn. Now, my first two wild asses, they got you up. They were coming down. The they, did, they would get me up, then go do their morning. Uh, they never went to sleep. Yeah. Oh, they would. Then they'd, they'd get me up, brush their teeth, use the bathroom, wash their hands. I was like, we got the order backwards. But my youngest two would get up on wait till a certain time to wake us up. So we would open the door every Christmas. And uh, my my youngest son and my and our youngest of all daughter would be sitting there in front of the tree staring at it. They would just be I don't, ready. Or we'd get up a little bit early to get ready, and they'd just be sitting there. Very patient kids, uh, totally different than the first two who were kicking their door in. And a favorite cookie, <laughs> I love anything like a sugar cookie. They have you know they have them in those different shapes. But the one thing, it's not necessarily a cookie, but I love. I know your wife would know this, and you would that bark. They have with like chocolate and peppermint. Peppermint bark is oh, crack. Man. That's dude, all it is. I swear, dude. Thank God you. And said the wife that. brings it home from Peterbrook, and uh, the he had done. They're she probably going to need a redo in the yeah, next that, year. Yeah, she sent me for some for Peterbrook. I think for last Christmas, and the bark. Yeah, dude, it's yeah. bad. You reaching a basket of treats and hot <laughs> family. When you can like take it and like put it in your pocket like you're stealing, and then uh, go hide it and you sneak in there and eat it in a closet. Yeah, yes. That, that peppermint that, bark is hard to beat. But that, that one right there gets me. Um, and I could, and I'll eat them all. I'll eat them like just sitting there, like uh, Ben Stiller at the end of Dodgeball. Covered. Yeah, I like a good shortbread cookie anytime. I, you know what I mean? Absolutely. But. Uh, you can't go wrong with just about any of your your favorite holiday cookies. Got to be got to be festive in terms of how they're decorated. I think when I think holiday cookie, I don't even think taste as much, Tim, as I think the look. 
right? Yeah. They're they're molded, they're cut out in the shape of a Christmas tree or a star or Santa Claus or Rudolph or something like that. It's not even a taste when it comes to holiday cookies as much as it is uh, the look at them. Uh, Doggy003, Doggy, I, I'm thinking I'm pronouncing that right, 003. Uh, he, he says here in the, in the mailbag, as much as LSU has beaten their chest about having the greatest team in college football history in 2019, is this year's Bama team better? He cites, uh, quarterback play certainly being, uh, close to equal, if not equal, uh, the Bama offensive line, uh, in his opinion, much better than LSU from a year ago. I, LSU was pretty good up front a year ago. Equal running back when you talk about Clyde Edwards Alar and Najee Harris, uh, and not equal at wide receiver as a whole, but Devontae was the best on the field last year in the LSU game, and he's the best this year, and he thinks the defenses are similar. What do you think, Tim, when you think about LSU 2019 and this Alabama team? Tell you one difference right out. I mean, first of all, I think LSU's team, they were so good collectively, like everything worked for LSU that year. And, um, you, when you had Joe Burrow, he had Matt, I saw Joe Burrow take a hit on his knee from, I think it was Derek Brown in the Auburn game that I, I mean, I don't know how that dude survived. I mean, that knee, I just, I'm surprised he finished the game. So guy was tough and he led them. They had great talent. Um, and you know how good that talent was because just like Alabama in the NFL, if you're watching, you're seeing the LSU guys still making plays in the NFL as rookies. So comparing this team, I tell you one difference, and it's not, you know, all things aren't equal because it's a shorter season, but LSU had some scramble games. I mean, don't forget Auburn was at 23 to 20. Um, mm-hmm. Alabama's 46, 41, although LSU led that a little bit, you know, more, um, Bit yeah, more. Alabama was chasing the entire game pretty much. That second half was a much even uh, more even contest. Now, and you flip that sure. over, Alabama this year, I mean, Alabama fans are griping because they beat Texas A&M 52 to 24. You know, there's like, we can do better. So that tells you how, I don't know what the margin of victory is, but I don't recall. Georgia's the closest one, I believe. Um you know, the Alabama defense leads the SEC in scoring defense. The offense leads in mm-hmm. scoring. So it's hard to compare the two. Max certainly having as productive a year as Joe Burrow did. I'm not saying he's as good as Joe Burrow, who's the number one draft pick, but Max certainly is productive. I mean, he's had such a good year. And Max, you know, had to do it with less than, than even Tua did. I mean, Tua had all four of these wide receivers at one time, which is still insane to think about. And, uh, you know, in addition to Najee and, and, and those guys. So LSU is one of the best teams I've ever seen. Uh, Tom Osborne's Nebraska team that dismantled Florida is another one that comes to mind. Alabama's 95 Nebraska. Yeah. A few teams like the team that just dismantled Notre Dame, I thought was very elite. So with this Alabama team, I think you wait and see. It's too early to call. They still have Florida. In the SEC championship game, they still have the college football playoffs, so they'll have a chance. If Alabama wins out, yeah, I'll say it's, it's as good as the Florida team, the LSU team from last year. And I, I would put it on the table. It might be the best Alabama team ever, and then I'd probably duck for cover. But I would <laughs> if this team wins out after losing some of the talent they lost and then having to fill in with – I mean, there's a lot of guys playing on that defense that have never really played. Josh Job. Hasn't played a lot, you know. So I would put it on the table if they went out. That they yeah, 
They could be. They're, they're going to have the opportunity. You said it because especially in a league only season, I mean, they're going to play through Saturday. They're going to play 10 different or yeah, 10 different league opponents in a regular season. They've never done that before. And they're going to go 10 and 0 against league opponents and then have the opportunity to beat an 11th a league opponent in the Southeastern Conference Championship game. So there's a great argument for you right there, just in terms of the schedule uh, that they're going to face. And then to do it, if they do it, they're going to have to win two more in the college football playoff after the SEC championship game if they beat Florida. So that's going to be a tough-to-top resume, Tim, if it comes off. I agree. I mean, it seems – I mean, and and – you know, there's been a lot of people, I think the national media, too, to some degree, that just acts like Alabama didn't lose, you know, a lot of talent. They lost a ton of talent on the mm-hmm. offensive side of the ball. Four first-rounders, Yeah, know, that left early. So you can't tell me they didn't lose talent. Mac Jones has a couple games experience going into the season. We had people debating us whether Mac Jones was an SEC quarterback to start this year. And then you mm-hmm. come Jalen Waddle goes down and, you know, because all the excuses were last year, Devonta Smith was open because they were guarding everybody else, right? Well, those excuses are gone. They're definitely guarding uh, Devonta, doubling and tripling him up sometimes. You can see him trying to bracket cover him. So Max dealing with just one receiver as opposed to four. And um, But the emergence, some, the two things I think we're not really talking enough about from Alabama on this team is the obviously the freshman we do talk about, but we're not talking enough about uh, Billingsley emerging as a legitimate target. And mm-hmm. we talk, and me included, I don't think we talk about Pat Sertain enough. Sertain enough. I mean, this guy he doesn't get challenged enough. He's you got know? the quietest goat career of any DB at Alabama. Our guy just comes in and handles his business and goes about it. Absolutely great player. Um, He's just played really well and, you know, been a leader. You can watch him on the field, what a leader he is. So, yeah, I think it's in the discussion Alabama could be. If they still a lot of ways to go, we can discuss this again in, in January. But it's Absolutely. a discussion at this point. Well, Tim, I think that's going to do it for the latest edition of the Bama Online Podcast. We hit on pretty much everything as we get you ready for the Alabama Crimson Tide's finish to the regular season, although some people include the Southeastern Conference Championship game as a part of the regular season. I mean, if you're Alabama at this point, why wouldn't you? But we're going to have extensive recruiting coverage for you there at BamaOnline.com as well. Hoops, you name it, the best place to talk about all that with fellow Alabama fans. The Roundtable, the premium message board of choice for Alabama Crimson Tide fans everywhere. Come post up with us. On the round table. You never know, Tim, what we might talk about there on the round table. Never know. We uh, we do get into some off topics. <laughs> we keep it a lot about Alabama athletics, but you know, it is holiday movie season it and goes, things like that. Yes, I am planning a whole, we're planning a whole podcast on that. I've got after our last podcast, <laughs> I got some text and PMs challenging our Die Hard is a Christmas movie theory. So, um, Well, look, you know, you it starts with a Christmas party. Die with it. So you convinced <laughs> me because I was on the fence, and you have convinced me. The whole dang movie's out of Christmas. You know what we'll do, too? We'll do movies that aren't Christmas movies, but they almost feel like Christmas movies. Like the original Willy Wonka 
that just yeah. feels, it, it's not a Christmas movie, but I mean, it, it, it feels almost like Santa Claus on the North Pole kind been. of deal. It absolutely should have been. If that would have been some kind of Christmas, um, mm-hmm. if that had been some kind of Christmas special when they got to go to the factory, it absolutely would yeah. have been. You could, you could, you could easily turn, uh, that one into a Christmas movie, but we'll get into all that. In some future episodes here on the Bama online podcast again, Tim. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. See you guys on the there round. He goes. Tim Watts, site publisher for us there at BOL. Travis Ryder, thanking you for joining us here on the podcast until next time. Stay safe. And we'll talk to you again real soon.